With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Cool. All right. Never done this before, so I don't know if I can go to my page and just. Glad it can be your first time. Yeah, it's working. Cool. All right. Well, welcome, everybody. This is uh, my first time going live here, and I'm excited to have uh, Jack Lloyd. Jack, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing amazing. How about you, Jacob? Oh, I'm fantastic. Uh, I'm glad to have you here. Uh, you were one of my favorite libertarian uh, activists out there, man. I mean, between okay. your 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 meme work and the, uh, the the all the different things you do, the I mean, so let's run down the list. You do uh, the ANCAP ball memes. You're one of the the people who creates those. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are the uh, creator of the Voluntarist comics, of which mm-hmm. I have the latest copy right here. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so, and uh, you're working on the fifth one now. I, I just saw you uh, put the Kickstarter out there for it, so mm-hmm. I'm excited for that one to come out. Uh, you do uh, the very controversial libertarian guys with uh, Asian wives. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah. So, but uh, those are the things that I follow you. The, oh, and the honest teacher. You run mm-hmm. that Facebook page. So th- those are the the things that that I follow you the most. Uh, on, but uh, go ahead and for those who don't know you, just uh, tell tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, uh, how you came to libertarianism, and just like you know everything that that you and uh, you and Phil are doing. Sure. All right. So uh, just running it real short on the history. Uh, basically, I got into liberty things while I was in college. Uh, I was kind of you know in the I guess you could say back then the neoconservative uh, arena. Uh, yeah, I'm very. Uh, <laughs> not happy about that past but you know you got to start somewhere we've, we've all been there yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I started to kind of wake up to the principles of liberty when i was in history class just learning about the american eugenics movement and the you know case of uh, buck v bell where carrie buck was uh sentenced to basically be sterilized uh, by uh justice oliver wendell holmes because she was epileptic and it just led me down a kind of rabbit trail of all different things that you can imagine with American history that I just didn't know happened because I was so shocked at that. I was like, oh, I didn't know that America had its own eugenics movement. And not only that, it started here. You know, it didn't start in Germany. It started in America and was exported there. So I was like, okay, I got to do a lot of research. And that took me down, you know, all different types of uh, channels and research and uh, Alex Jones and stuff like that too. That's fun. Um, and eventually I got to the point you know, over the years uh, of looking into, you know, philosophy and principles and ethics. And then I came across a question on the uh, No State Project website uh, where it asked a question of, uh, you know, should goods and services be provided the barrel of a gun? And I said to myself, well, you know, I can't ethically say that they should be, you know, it goes against the principles. And that kind of led me down to the the level of, you know, being a voluntarist. Uh, and that, you know, took several years. And during that time, I, you know, I had a lot of great interactions with people, uh, you know, in libertarian organizations and and groups and things like that, uh, you know, just taking about you know, three-ish years to go from uh, neoconservative to, 
you know, a principal voluntarist. And uh, yeah, and that that was, you know, quite a lot of fun. And then over the years, I started to do more and more things uh, with Liberty, um, you know, besides just making memes and doing some in-person activism and stuff for student groups like Students for Liberty and things like that. I uh, started the comic book series, Voluntarist Comic Series, and then uh, later on would go on to produce uh, content uh, for different pages, you know, as you mentioned, you know, things like the honest teacher and philosopher and other things. And so, yeah, I just always have been engaged with the culture of liberty now for, uh, you know, strongly, I would say for well over 10, you know, 13 years. And I just love doing it, love trying to help foster the next generation for liberty. So. Yeah, I, I uh, yeah, I, I also, well, I, I've been all over the political map. So I came out of high school more left leaning. And like in 20, like 14, 15, kind of got into like the Bernie Sanders uh, movement. So I was I was a Bernie <laughs> fan. I wasn't like that. I wasn't actually that far left. Um, uh-huh. uh, in my, like they were like I thought Bernie went a little bit too far on some of the mm. economic stuff. But I just I, I did have some libertarian leanings in terms of like I really liked that he talked about like the corruption in politics and the the uh, kind of like, you know, like the biggest thing that, I, that like I grew up with seeing was like the the bailouts in like 2008 and stuff where we bailed mm-hmm. out uh you know wall street and so that was you know happening during my formative years where i was first starting to pay attention to current events and all that so i you know i liked what bernie was saying and i thought he was like the most honest of the bunch so you know i kind of uh got into him uh right. but but then i started to to get more educated on uh on economics uh, first by conservatives, a uh, guy like uh, like Ben Shapiro actually was the one that first started to get me listening to you know more libertarian economics. So that brought me into the like neocon uh, you know kind of status, and I thought at that point in time that I was a libertarian because I thought libertarianism was just about economics and like and 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 free markets and all that, um, and that got me into. Uh, joining a local libertarian meetup group where there were actual libertarians and they, uh, <laughs> they, uh, patiently, uh, guided me from the, uh, <laughs> the muck of neoconservatism into actual, uh, libertarianism, introducing me to guys like Tom Woods and Dave Smith, uh, uh, Molyneux before he became a little bit more infamous and, <laughs> uh, and, uh, and yeah, so, uh, so yeah, uh, we, we we've all been there. We all have our embarrassing. It's always fun to be on Facebook and uh, and and see things you posted in the past and be like, oh right. god! Like if I if I some of the things I posted in the past, if I saw today, yeah. I'd be like jumping on to call call me right. call, like name call myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah. So um, what, one of the things that I first saw when I uh, met you was the voluntarist stuff, and um, you know what what started that? I mean, was mm. uh. What, what was like the inspiration for you doing that? Have you always been like into comics? Is that, and that's why you did it? Or, uh, you know, what, what, uh, was your inspiration there? Yeah, I've always been into, you could say a fantasy superheroes, comics, that kind of stuff. So it was just natural for me to want to do something in that genre, just cause I liked cosplaying and, you know, obviously like DC and Marvel and, you know, always into What's your favorite DC or Marvel. Um, at this point, you know, I just I would say that, you know, the DC superheroes are more iconic and they definitely have better stories for the regular animated series. But the movies, you know, have largely been 
you know, trash. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, did you catch the Snyder cut? I did. I, I watched all four hours. Yeah, it was that was long. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was better. I thought it was it was better than the original Justice League. But still, I was yeah. like, if you need four hours to make something good, mm. that's just uh, it's a lot. <laughs> it was tough. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it was better in the sense that you actually got to see more characters and character development, but it still fell flat for what they could have done with it. Uh, in terms of, in my opinion, the action and ultimately the character dynamics, uh, it it just, you know, it's just nowhere near as good as the writing is, you know, for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You just you can't beat oh, yeah. how funny they are and how, you know, quick paced they are with the writing. So, um, but when it came to Voluntarius, I was like, oh, okay, so maybe I can uh, make a movie or something like that related to Liberty and, and superhero stuff like that. Um, just cause I had some background experience in production and, and other things. And then I started to like kind of plan that out and write some stuff. And I was like, Hmm, I don't think I can realistically do this and make it look good. And I mean, the amount of money it would take just, is just not right. But I was like, you know, I probably could reasonably afford to do a comic book. And I was like, okay, well maybe I'll just readjust this, you know, film script for comic book because I can do that and, you know, be at least somewhat decent in terms of the quality and, and publishing and things like that, as you would for most any indie comics. So I was like, all right. So, you know, I switched gears and just kind of ran with it. And I definitely um, wouldn't say that I was successful <laughs> in terms of like, you know, the first few things, like I didn't hit my goals in terms of what I originally wanted. I mean, obviously I, when you just look at what I was facing, which is being in a niche of a niche, you know, libertarian, genre and superhero genre like that's pretty tough already um it was pretty impressive i guess but uh nowhere near like what i was hoping to achieve uh, it actually took years of diligence and hard work and improvement to get to the point that you know I, i'm at today where the past three campaigns that i've had um have been all over 100 percent funded and have been you know very popular and things like that so it, it definitely was not easy uh, to get to the point of success it took many years and lots of learning and making mistakes and, you know, having to listen to people and, and, and do better and, and just find a better way to get things done. But yeah, definitely love it. It's a lot of fun. Well, and I just think it's such a, um, it's such a, I really love that you're doing it. And I think we need more libertarians and voluntarists out there putting content like this out to compete with the, uh, the mainstream culture and what, and what they're doing. Cause mm -hmm. like, you know, ki kids are attracted to this kind of stuff and, and even, you know, young adults too. And I mean, right. you know, people that are into comics, people that are into movies, video games, you know, the more we can get, you know, the, the values that, and the philosophy that we know is important mm -hmm. uh, into, uh, cause not, not just, not everybody is going to, uh, have the desire to listen to like a two or three hour, you know, session of like libertarian podcast or sit down and read the anatomy of the state uh, you know, and a lot of people don't like really inform their political philosophy by reading anything or watching anything. It's just kind of like the culture around them shapes uh, what their views are. Um, right. So the more that there can be a counterculture that is uh, liberty minded, I think that's that's good. And we need more people with artistic talent going out there and, and putting these things out there, you know, and, you know, like I have three kids and the, you know, the I have a, a five year old who's turning six next weekend. Um, 
and a uh, almost three year old. And I mean, they both love their you know TV shows and and movies and 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 superheroes even. And you know, especially my my oldest son. I mean, he's huge into Spider Man, huge into Captain America. And you know, so you let him watch the movies, read the books and stuff. But then, like you know, as a parent, you're you're listening to the things that people are saying, and like you can like see the loaded yep. language and the the. Uh, the kind of like the the uh, indoctrination that they're trying to bake into the the recipe of these stories and stuff, and then it's like I'm always like, oh, I don't. <laughs> it's like it, it, on its face it looks harmless, but it's just like a lot of the, uh, uh, you know, it's not all bad. Like I really liked um, Captain America: Civil War. Um, mm. I thought that the messaging there wasn't all bad. The idea that like Captain America was against, you know, allowing. Uh, more like government control over the power of the Avengers. Like, so that that was good, but that was kind of like, just seems to me to be like, that was like one instance where there was like a, a somewhat like a good Liberty message that you could derive out of something. I mean, I tried to like, like I, I made, uh, I always try to find Liberty messaging where I can, especially in stories. Um, Cause and I think you'll probably agree with this. I think stories are just captivating to the, mm-hmm. to the human psychology. And, right. you know, that's how chill, that's primarily how children, I think, uh, socially learn like, like moral norms and, mm-hmm. and how to act in the world is kind of through, through stories. So, um, you know, the, the, vo- the voluntarist, you know, it's still, you know, you're, you, it, I know it's not like you don't have tons of, them out there yet so it's not like a full story has been told you're still very much getting that story out there but just already just just little things in there like i love the first one how like just like right away uh like i don't want to spoil too much of the story for people that haven't listened to it but but there's a part where main characters you know has like uh was it was a police officers or federal agents coming up and and he immediately just like am i being detained right yes we we need that more like that needs to be like you know, like it, it, sometimes people think that's like a cliche thing to say, but like, yeah. no, like that, like knowing what your rights are and not just and, and not fostering this attitude of just submission to the state mm-hmm. is is important. Um, right. So uh, what what would you say um, your your hope is with the uh, the voluntarist uh, comics and stuff like wh- where do you uh, like, do you want to make this like a full series and have more? Mm-hmm superheroes like create a whole like you know uh um cast of characters like like how far do you want to go with this Mm -hmm. oh yeah i mean it in terms of the comics direction um a lot of it has been uh fleshed out you could say i've i've already had written quite a substantial amount of, of the story and had developed a lot of the characters too even um showcasing some of them in some super uh sorry future verse issues that had already been uh come out and on the main website, volcomic.com, there's a characters list and other things like that. So there's already some like lore and background and other things like that. So hopefully, as things continue to progress over years, my, my hope would be that I finish this first arc, um, maybe get that into a graphic novel kind of format. And then, of course, ideally, like an end goal for me would be to get this actually into an animated series. Uh, that would be a dream. And then, of course, a, a human series, you know, live action would be an even bigger dream. So that that's definitely the long term goal is, you know, all the way up there in terms of you know, DC Marvel, like what you would expect. So keeping on the, the story of the universe, it's completely expandable even to uh, you know multiple arcs and multiple afters and things like that. Um, and then 
turning that into an actual animated show and eventually a live action adaptation to, uh, you know, the whole nine yards. So, yeah, that, 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 that'll be awesome to watch unfold. And I know like even my, my son just like, you know, he, he almost gets like impatient. Like I've, I've read each one to him and mm-hmm. like they're, you know, they're comics. So like they're, right. they're not full length books that tell a whole, like from start to finish story. So like this is slowly unraveling and he's just like, like, you know, we read through the whole new one when it came in. He's like, all right, where's the next one? Like, <laughs> Come on, let's go. <laughs> like, he's like, he's like, what happens? And, uh, like the, the like the, uh, you know, watching the characters start to, to like experience their superpowers and stuff. And like, oh. he's just like, like, you know, kid, kids love that. So, I mean, you know, that I'm, I'm really glad that, that you're doing that. I hope more people follow suit. I hope that, uh, this is all successful. I'll be sure to, uh, share a link, uh, uh, when I post this out there and stuff for that Kickstarter, because I, you know, more people contributing to these kind of pro like I, th- these projects have to be, you know, funded. Like we have to mm-hmm. support our our artists and our uh, content creators like you. So I want to, uh, you know, get that out there because you know we're we're at war with the state, and I really like the mm-hmm. like the voluntarist really kind of like has that like imaging like like your the. Um, like like just the covers of your uh <laughs> of of the comics you know very much make that uh you know make that imagery and that that uh that that framing clear um so i mean we we and we have to fight that war on every level like you know we're both involved in the mises caucus so they're fighting it on the political level and that is hugely important in my opinion but that can't be all we're doing like it can't just be you know we're not going to defeat the state just by you know winning some elections and and repealing some some gun laws repealing drug laws like that's all important but that's just one one part of a multifaceted multi-pronged approach that we have to take uh combating the state uh another important part of, of fighting the state is like educating our kids and and getting them out of these public indoctrination camps or what i like to call and you like to call prisons mm-hmm. um yeah. <laughs> i remember one of the um when i first started my page uh, one of the first things I shared was a post from um, your page, The Honest Teacher, where you you, wow. you were comparing the uh, uh, public education system to prisons. Mm-hmm. And all, all my I shared that and like all the Karens of Facebook came out, oh, yeah. you know, and it was like, well, that's so inappropriate. Like, like and, and, and I was like, all right, well, like, where is it wrong? Like, right. like let's, com- let's do the comparison. Like, mm-hmm. what happens if you, you know, if the kids... I mean, the only way that it's that your kids don't have to be in public school is you have to get the state's permission to homeschool them. Like I'm going through that process now where like Mm -hmm. I have to like, you know, go to the state and beg for permission for for them to let me keep my kid home and educate them. I have have to check in with them every year and be like, no, don't worry. I'm I'm, I'm doing what you what you want me to, Um, which, by the way, if anyone out there hasn't checked it out yet, uh, check out the. Ron Paul Homeschool, which uh, Tom Woods and uh, others helped create, which is a very good libertarian resource for those who are entering that journey of homeschooling, which mm-hmm. uh, that became. But yeah, that became so much more of a uh, a topic in uh, the mainstream this year with the COVID lockdowns mm-hmm. because kids were being sent home and, and not at school and people were trying to do the cyber schooling. But that, from what I could see, was largely a disaster <laughs> every everywhere that tried to be implemented. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, what's what's your, um, you know, what was like, A, your 
experience growing up in the uh, educational system and like looking mm -hmm. back at that now the libertarian you know like mm. uh you know uh describe some of the ways and like the things you talk about on the honest teacher page and sure and, and how the you know the 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 uh ways that public education is very much more like a a prison and indoctrination camp than anything else yeah i have um probably one of the most unique and robust experiences you could possibly have in terms of uh, schooling issues um, just because I experienced uh, a whole diversity of different schooling environments and my dad was himself a 30-year school teacher who oh, okay. taught in um, uh, inner city schools and things like that. So uh, when I went to school, like kindergarten was at a public kindergarten and then for the rest of my first through 12th years, I was in uh, private Christian schools. I went to actually uh, four different ones. Um, and, you know, a lot of similarities, I would say, you know, would be pretty much anything you could imagine in the, in the public school environment in terms of, you know, the bell ringing and, and the, the breaking of the classes by periods and, and all that kind of stuff. Like it's, there's not really much of a material difference from what I've seen. Um, yeah, with the with the private schools, it's just they they copy the same system, but it's yeah. just it's fun. It's slightly different in terms of funding and being able to opt in right. and out, but it's it's structured the same way. Yeah, by and large, I mean, there's some like a more elite right, schools but... and board, boarding schools and stuff that you know I know about because um, I also uh, own a tutoring company and you know I've worked with kids in there too. But yeah, I mean, pretty. I would say a, a very close experience to a lot of public schools, at least in terms of the academic instruction. And after that, um, you know, I went to college, I went to law school, I did juvenile defense. So I got to actually work with young people in court and also uh, see what it's like for kids who are going to school while in orange jumpsuits, uh, you know, things like that. So that was quite interesting. And I uh, also was a substitute teacher and taught uh, full time at a public school and um, at a charter school uh, for a K to eight middle school. Uh, so with all those experiences, you know, plus having a dad who's who taught for 30 years, I, I definitely have a kind of a, a wide diversity of insight into the nature of schooling as both a student, a grad student, a substitute teacher, teacher and juvenile defense attorney. So all those things together um, really helped me be able to conceptualize what is done to kids and the psychological abuse that is done and what's rationalized by adults, you know, out of fear, which is the idea that, you know, if you don't do this this way, you're going to amount to nothing in life and you're going to not be successful and you're going to work at McDonald's. Right. It's it's this uh, fear based mindset that you better follow what's been told and what we know, because if you don't you run the risk of your life being squandered. And that I really try to strike at the root with, um, just exposing a lot of the hypocrisies of, of schooling mantras, because that's really what builds up the schooling mindset. It's just a lot of assertions, you know, unchallenged assertions, right? Like yeah. the idea of, oh, you have to learn within 50 minute blocks, or if you're at a block period school, you have to learn within, you know, these two periods, and you must have all your subjects right. This way, and you must learn this topic in this year at this age. And if you don't, you're falling behind. One of my most formative yeah. experiences with the uh, with public education that made me hate it was uh, remember like eleventh grade or something where we had to do a uh, research paper, mm. and you couldn't just like and now like I understand maybe like reasonable checkpoints to be like you know not just be like hey uh, it's 
it's uh, January. Here's the assignment. Edit to do in March. Get it done. Like I understand you want to teach kids how to write a research paper. To, like like you know give give them helpful pointers and stuff and and maybe have them do like well give me a rough draft by February and mm-hmm. and we'll go over it and I'll give you some pointers like I'm not again I'm not saying there should be no structure I'm not anti structure mm-hmm. but the way it's like micromanaged structure that I mm-hmm. didn't like it was like forced everybody's going to have the research done by this date everybody's mm-hmm. going to have note then the next step is note cards you're going to put all these note cards out and then you're going to do and it's like each step was like you're having your hand held, mm-hmm. guided through the process. And I'm just like – and in my head, it just didn't make sense. I was like, so wait, do you expect that all kids when they're writing and for every subject, as if every subject can be done in the same exact way, mm-hmm. can research in the same time, get a rough draft out in the same time, like, like – like, and, and then they have to – and this structure has to be in this order. I was like, why are we all being pushed to do the same exact thing? Mm-hmm. As if like we're just like writing a research paper is just a formula, mm-hmm. like you know what I mean. Like it just it didn't make it didn't make sense to me, and so I pushed back really hard against my teacher. Mm-hmm. I actually like I in my head set out to prove I was like I'm going to prove you can write a good research paper without following these steps. So mm-hmm. I my overall grade did suffer <laughs> because uh, she graded on those steps, but my final <laughs> research paper still got an A. Wow. Like I was just like I was like I'm still gonna do research I'm still gonna follow the guidelines for the paper mm-hmm. I was like but I'm just I was like I'm not gonna you know be controlled to be like I have to prove to you every step of the way that I'm doing a good job right you know what I mean it's like it's like work for like, like imagine imagine working for someone like that where it's like the like mm-hmm. your employer comes out every uh like like five minutes like are you doing this right are mm-hmm. you doing this right show me what you're doing are you doing this right it's like right. Like no one would want, would want to work in that environment. Mm-hmm. Bosses, you know, really employers don't want workers that they have to babysit. That's true. You know, you don't want to hire someone that you feel like you have to like guide them along every step of the process right. to, to make sure they're doing it right. So it's like and then people and, and it's no wonder when people come out of high school, they're not prepared for any job, like mm-hmm. like almost no job. I've actually put it this way. It's like high school almost deprograms your ability to like a like think for yourself and b to mm-hmm. problem solve by yourself and like you almost come out of high school stunted yes <laughs> like yeah. unable to operate in a way that someone who didn't go through that experience would already be further ahead like yeah sure maybe they wouldn't be able to tell you some geometry formulas that they memorized <laughs> but even then it's like I don't, no one remembers the stuff they had to memorize for math class or for science class or unless they picked a career where they use that stuff mm-hmm. so it's like you know it's just forced memorization regurgitation fall in line you know do as you're told and, and i'm sure you know the history of our educational system uh just like i've looked into it it's all modeled after, after this prussian uh system that's you know mm-hmm. basically uh designed to make people good obedient uh workers to work in a factory like to, to not think for yourself, to just like do as you're told, follow simple commands. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, the goal ultimately is it's almost a uh, militaristic too. Uh, yeah. that, you know, the original education system is, is to uh, get people to be good soldiers for the Prussian army. Um, and in that realm, I think as you know, correctly, 
the schooling system causes young people to lose their executive functioning skill. And executive functioning means that uh, you're basically able to look at problems and set your own um, guidelines of how you're going to attack it and solve it and motivate yourself to get stuff and, you know, basically make uh, timelines for yourself, you know, do the things you need to do, set yourself up for success and plan for the future. And school subverts that by getting young people to become so frustrated in the process that they relegate all of their planning skills to whatever the syllabus is and whatever their teachers are handing them. And essentially they're just getting to the point by the time, you know, you're at, uh, at the end of high school, that you're just like, just tell me what I need to know for the test. Right. That's the goal. They're like, I just know I need a signal and get an A tell me what I need to know. I'm going to memorize this. And then, you know, whatever, get the A on the test, whatever. And it ends up causing young people to associate learning, you know, at large with schooling. And then they have no internal motivation or curiosity or, you know, ability to seek out stuff on their own. And that is, in my opinion, uh, and for what I've studied by design, because it's meant to get young people to be sub subservient to those already in political and economic power to basically be like, oh, OK, you're going to you know, fill the roles that we decide for you because the government has literally just centrally planned the lives of young people for 13 years. So, you know, when people talk about really wanting to be against socialism and communism. The compulsory you know, school model is highly socialist and communist. It is one of the probably most key things to socialism and communism because that is the environment in which young people are indoctrinated to believe that they should be raised by a collective community and that their time should be managed by others. And they're given, you know, this kind of like facade of like, oh yeah, you're a part of this process or your opinion counts. And it never does, of course. Like, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, raise your hand. Your, your opinion matters here. No, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? It's it's pre-designed, you know, for you what you're going to be doing. Yeah. And, you know, there's only a margin of wiggle room for, for certain things. But, you know, that is the ultimate goal is to get young people to believe that the government can ethically and effectively essentially plan their lives uh, by the time they've graduated. And to also make it difficult for them to think outside of that paradigm and to, uh, you know, themselves think about, oh, how do I do things on my own? Um, so it, it is a, a big tragedy of how much young people's uh, ability to think and also to function independently has been destroyed by the compulsory schooling paradigm. Yeah. It, it, and it also teaches, like, I like the way you put it, like it teaches you to be subservient to like a, like a, a broader community. And like, like the, the school very much becomes like this, uh, well, I mean, like they, they, they almost explicitly basically say like, like you're our kids. And they actually told my, so like, I remember in middle school, I got into a fight mm -hmm. and got sent to the principal's office. My dad has to come in. Uh, and I didn't pick the fight. Like there was kids that were pushing uh, one of my friends around. I got in between fists started flying. It all happened very quickly. I ended up, you know, tackled on the ground and him and the other guy, you know, were, were, were exchanging blows. Uh, you know, them in the principal's office and, you know, my dad's just like, well, he was just, you know, defending himself after defending another kid. Why are you going to punish him? And, you know, they were trying to suspend me and he was like this is mm. you know this is crap like our tax dollars are paying for you to educate my child not to a let kids attack him mm -hmm. and then b punish him for being attacked by not educating him he was like what right. what, what sense does this make and they were right. like well you know we have to be able to you know implement these consequences and and he's like yeah well like you know he's my son, not yours. Like you don't get to decide what's right for him and what the right punishment for, for, for this is if any is deserved. And the, the principal literally said to my dad's face, actually, sir, Mr. Winograd, 
while your son's here, he is our our child. Mm-hmm. And my dad got pissed. <laughs> yeah, because uh, like it, my dad was never like a like a radical libertarian, but mm-hmm. uh, he did have some of those leanings. And like when he mm-hmm. heard that, he got he got angry. Like he just you mm-hmm. know, <laughs> yeah, uh, and and rightfully so. Um, you know, it, I, I do think that is how. The, the system is designed is it's designed to to make it like you know the the kids are are leaving their parents joining the school system and it's to make them like you know part of this broader society i mean we literally make kids stand up and pledge allegiance to a piece of cloth every morning before their education starts i mean i don't <laughs> yeah, no, no, we don't but the uh, but the yeah the the, the system does i re- and i remember um I remember when I was young, there was one student who uh, her parents were atheists. Mm. And uh, because the word God was in the pledge, the mm-hmm. parents wrote a note saying, uh, like, I forget her name, it was like Julian or something. Like, Julian mm-hmm. is, is, uh, is, is not allowed. We don't uh, approve of her uh, standing up and doing the, the pledge. Right. So she'll just sit there quietly. Mm-hmm. And we all, like all of us kids, we judged her so hard for that. Yeah. Like already as young kids, like we were like indoctrinated into this cult so badly. Yeah. that was just like, you're not standing up and pledging allegiance. What is wrong with you? Yeah. You're not one of us. And right. like, that's such powerful conditioning mm-hmm. to do to young kids. And it just oh, yeah. looking back at it now, like it's, it, it's like prison, but worse because mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's not just like forcing people to be locked in a building for mm-hmm. you know six to eight hours a day it's, it's locking them in there and brainwashing them oh yeah no and you're absolutely right in terms of what the pledge is supposed to inculcate kids with it's supposed to be an unyielding obedience to those in power and um you know people try to argue semantics like well it's talking about you know the idea of the country and it's like no it's a very specific thing it's one nation under god indivisible okay they're voting in these ideas you know whether you believe in god or not or whatever it doesn't matter the point right. is you know, it's meant to load these ideas into kids' minds through mantras and to have them believe it um, without even thinking about the implications of what they're saying. You know, and what that means, governmental unity, you know, one nation, you know, not having secession. Uh, right. It, yeah. It's basically, <laughs> it's, it's meant to get uh, kids to buy into this and to associate it uh, with their identity and with their internal value and pride. And as you noted correctly, like like the whole thing that happens is especially with young kids, the social dynamics are to uh, use shaming and judging to get compliance. And it's very effective. I mean, this is, is a very uh, you know normal practice for those who are using brainwashing techniques is to get those who are being brainwashed to do the corralling for you, to get them to do the social shaming and pressure so that those in power don't even have to do it. They can get others to do the dirty work for them. And that is very effective, um, you know, for all people around the world. And that's why many <laughs> tyrannical regimes especially focus on getting the young to buy into whatever it is that they want them to believe in, you know, whether it's the Chinese government trying to indoctrinate kids and, you know, they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff now trying to track them digitally, you know, in every possible sense, you know, you, or you look at like the North Korean government, what they do to kids, you know, in terms of their militaristic stuff. I mean, but yeah. literally here too in the U S it's just the, those in, in power found a way to do it you know, the effective psychological chains without having the superficial of, well, you know, we're not like locking the way into military marches. It's not the same, but they do this, you know, the psychological manipulations in all of their dialogues and uh, all of their mantras and all their symbolism that it's associated for life for kids. And it's very difficult to break 
free from, it's easy to point out for somebody else. It's easy to be like, oh, see, look at that, you know, Chinese person. They're celebrating that flag and they're worshiping it. Like, ooh, you know what I mean? Or that North Korean indoctrinated person. Like, it's easy to point out for other countries, oh, yeah, they're brainwashed. But the person who's doing the exact same thing with their country is like, oh, no, that's not brainwashing. I'm, I'm totally fine. And it's, it's incredibly powerful. It really is a testament to how effective this type of uh, young person brainwashing is. Well, I, uh, I see a question somebody uh, uh, posted here. Uh, so maybe I'll ask it quick because it's, it's, it's pertinent. Maybe you'll have a good answer for it. He said, that's all well and good to say, but how are the next generation going to get their education if not going through the education system? Are you going to stop working or limit your ability to advance your career to educate your uh, to educate your kids yourself? Do you have the ability to educate a child enough to thrive? Saying screw the education system sounds good, but you need to have something to replace it. I doubt you have thought that far ahead. What do you think, what do you think Jack? <laughs> yeah, I doubt you thought that far ahead. That's a, that's, that's, yeah, that's the, basically for the, for the uh, educational realm, that's like the equivalent of the, the politics realm of who will build the roads. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so yeah. We've, People who are in this realm of unschooling and stuff like that have thought that far ahead and more. Uh, and not only have they thought that far ahead, it's actually uh, directly implemented now. It's, so this is not a conjectural or theoretical. So for um, learning outside of the compulsory paradigm, uh, it's often umbrellaed under the terms of things like unschooling, self-directed learning, things like that. So unschooling or self-directed learning is just this, you could say, um, vision of having young people learn at their self-direction. In other words, they learn based on what interests them um, to the best extent you know, possible. Something's just not fit, you know, feasible. Like obviously you can't get, you know, have all kids be able to get into space directly, whatever, but you get the idea. Um, so, you know, as, as best as possible, try to facilitate young people's natural curiosity. And this takes place in all different types of environments. You know, when it comes to unschooling, there are those who unschool at home, which is, you know, unschooling as a form of homeschooling kind of thing as a base. Um, there are those who have centers. Uh, in other words, it's you actually have facilities where there are young people. They're typically aged around five up to some places do 18 or 19. Some are, you know, due to, through like, you know, 13 depends on the facility, of course. Um, and they have unschooling centers where adults just act as facilitators instead of, uh, you know, autocrats. So at one example is the Sudbury Valley School of Massachusetts. And this has been around for well over 60, 70 years. And, you know, their evidence of like kids, you know, who, who leave there is that they actually have a higher college acceptance rate than your average high school. Um, and they have kids there who have gone on to Harvard and other prestigious institutions. They've also had kids that, you know, didn't pursue those things, went to trade school, did something else. But again, that's normal, just like any other school. So it happens. I've actually heard that colleges almost sometimes favor homeschooled kids because like it, it, it's mm -hmm. or at least it's it's something that stands out. You know what I mean? Like, you know, when you're looking through a stack of a bunch of resumes and stuff, mm -hmm. kids that were homeschooled but have like a bunch of accomplishments and, yeah. and you know, it's like it, it, it's it's something that catches uh, admission officers eyes. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, 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 it's not as uh, but yeah, it's definitely not as hard to get into college with a homeschooled education as as people might might assume. No, yeah, that yeah, that's the main thing is that it's no more or less difficult than you're typical high schooler again just because you went right. to high school and got a diploma doesn't mean college wants you <laughs> if you right. have low c's you know across the board doesn't really matter does it so uh when it comes to this type of facility uh what they have is they have all different types of rooms and activities and environments for kids to learn in computer rooms music rooms outdoor basketball courts a full kitchen you know writing rooms and all types of you know 
places where kids can just enjoy life, learn, and even get help. And the facilitators have all different types of talents. They'll have one who specializes in music for helping kids want to learn, you know, musical things. They have, you know, ones who are good with reading writing skills so they can help kids, you know, learn to read or write uh, if they want to or be read to. Uh, there's ones who are good at, you know, math skills, and they especially help kids who are on the college path, you know, preparing for SATs, ACTs, things like that, and for, you know, traditional forms of signaling. So um, not only is, you know, this idea uh, put into practice, but it's been put into practice in, in some places for well over 60, 70 years uh, with results that, you know, you can look at for yourself. So um, in this ideal outcome, um, young people would just simply be free to learn and adults would act as facilitators instead of judges. Judges being people who are like, you need to do this and I'm going to give you a grade and that grade's going to stick with you for all years and it's going to go in a cumulative folder in a file and you know, you're going to be labeled by this. It's like, you know, you don't need that to learn. Learning, you know, you don't stop learning the second you're in school, right? It's not like, oh, I love school. <laughs> I can't learn anymore. I can't think, <laughs> right? Like, it's, it's silly, right? Nobody actually believes that or thinks that. But the reality is, is that people assume that because they say, oh, if you're not in the school, then you can't learn. But it's like, wait, no. You, well, you're it's, a, it's the, it's the uh, I'm trying to think of the right word here. It is the bias that people have towards, not quite the right, right word. People mm. are basically like, because of our system, they, there are some things that people are conditioned to think have to be done through central planning of some mm. sort. And the education system, I think, is, is one of these things. It's like, mm. we, it's like, how are kids going to learn if they don't go all through the same system and learn things in this order and, and right. in this way and in these structures? It's like, why do kids have to learn things in the same order? Why do they have to learn at the same rate? Right. Why do they have to, you know, even learn the same things? Like, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I mean, you want, might want every kid to read, but like, mm -hmm. you know, every kid has different interests. And does every kid need to have the same reading level at the age of 10? Mm -hmm. probably probably not like you know what i mean like we it's like it's like this this it very much to me looks like uh you know it's the same people that look at the economy and go like well why are there why is there inequality why is there you know what i mean it's like but like you're looking at one snippet at a time mm -hmm. and and these things are constantly changing and evolving and right. if you if you look at things at one snippet at a time and you're upset because of the inequality and so you want to flatten everything mm -hmm. what you're doing is you're not actually bringing everyone up to the same level you're actually the people that would have been uh down here already and mm -hmm. people up here you're actually just squashing them back down that's mm -hmm. what ends up happening like with the stuff like no child left behind mm -hmm. you're not letting uh people thrive you're just you're saying well everyone's going to be uh more equal so the only way you can do that is to basically flatten down uh the hierarchies and flatten down the 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 peaks and the experiences that people can have um mm. so it, to me it's just uh you know and and children learn better when they want to learn like my my five-year-old already like i don't have to force him to do like activity books or to to, to ask like he kids are constantly asking questions right like i can't get him to stop asking questions he right. wants to learn he sees yeah. <laughs> things out there in the world and he's like what's that how does that work what, what, what to do? Why is it called that? Like, mm -hmm. you know, kids are naturally inquisitive and, 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 and their brains are like sponges and they learn at exponential rates. Uh, so, I mean, and, and reading is not that hard to teach. Like I thought it would be, I was a little nervous, like, cause you know, I wasn't homeschooled. So mm -hmm. to me, I was like, like, although I believe in homeschooling, like it was just a new scary thing, but like kids recognize patterns really easily. And mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, 
and, and they pick up context clues really easily. Like, right. you know, uh, and like, so my son, the other day we went to a restaurant and they had like a kid's menu with a word <laughs> search. And, you know, he was learning to read using the word search because he'd, <laughs> he'd ask, he'd ask me, uh, you know, what's this word here? I'd be like, oh, that's, that's, uh, you know, like, uh, steak. It's like, okay. So he's like, that's an S. T-E, and he's going through the word search right. and finding it, and like that's helping him learn to, to how the word is spelled, and then he recognizes it when he sees it again. Like, right. you don't, it, it, it's not that hard. It becomes harder when you say everyone has to do it the same way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> everyone right. has to be the same. Everyone has to be equal. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think, uh, who, who was it? Uh, uh, I think Rothbard said it best. Egalitarianism is a revolt against nature. Like right. we're not yeah. all equal and we're not all, we're not. And that doesn't mean that we're unequal. Like there's some people that are subhuman or that don't have the same rights. Like we're all right. equal not, in our rights right. and our, and in our, our moral value, but we're not, we're not all equal just in terms of like any other category, even to ourselves. Like, like no one's equal. Like I'm not equal to myself yesterday. I'm not equal to myself tomorrow. You know, we all have our peaks and valleys. So it's like, why right. do we, why do we have to be put through like, you know, it's it, the educational system is just like everyone, you know, everyone must fit into this round hole, even if they're a square mm-hmm. peg. Right. I mean, the goal is that by the end of the years, it's actually more about labeling and segregation. So the idea is that by the time you're done with school, it's those who graduate with the highest marks typically are the ones who are most able and willing to comply. That's what it boils down to. A lot of people don't realize that. They think, oh, it's straight A's. I, I was a straight A student. You know what I mean? I did very well. And, you know, obviously I have some intelligence, whatever. But the reality is, is that that does not really speak to true um, intelligence in all areas or aptitudes or e- even like, you know, metrics of IQ. It actually is really, because again, grades are just whether you turn it in on time. You could be very smart and know lots of stuff, but if you didn't turn your homework, you get 50% or zero, right? So it doesn't matter. You could, you know, you could be like super brilliant and be like, eh, I don't feel like doing this is stupid work. You get a zero. Doesn't matter how smart you were. So at the end of the day, it has to be grades ultimately have to be your, your ability and willingness to meet whatever they're demanding within the time frame they are. And that's all it is. And until people actually get that that's what grades are communicating, there's a lot of misconception about what it's truly representing because it's it's not about you know what all you can do in the market or even how intelligent you are or how creative you are uh, there's lots of kids and i've seen this so many times who are very bright but they're going through their parents divorce and they're not doing too hot in school because they're really distraught and they're well, really that, that that happened to me my senior year mm. My, exactly. my parents split up my senior year and I almost didn't graduate, not because of my grades, but because of truancy. Mm-hmm. I just like I stopped showing up because like I just I couldn't deal with right. going to school while like all this family yeah. turmoil mm-hmm. was going on in, in you know, in my life. So, right. yeah, like it's it, it's it, it's awful. And, and it, it, there's that. And like what 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 I was going to say, what came to mind when you were talking was like it makes people afraid to be wrong. Mm-hmm. Like being wrong in school is such a like mm-hmm. ashamed thing instead right. of like value valuing the learning experience. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like, I mean, you shouldn't be seeking to be wrong, but you should right. be okay with being wrong. 
like being wrong shouldn't be this like punch in the gut right it's like you were wrong and now you suffer for it it should be like no that was like that was wrong but like a like it's good you tried because you're you're gonna what's that saying you're gonna miss 100 percent of the uh the uh, shots you don't take right so like better a student hands in a test where they get maybe 60 percent of the answers right but they tried their best versus somebody who uh you know only answers 60 percent of the you know questions you know what i mean and gets them all right you know what i mean like well it's like it's like you know what i mean like what i don't think that the outcomes are the same in that instance like they both might have got 60 answers right but mm-hmm. one person just filled out 60 of the questions and then gave up on the rest it's right. like it's like you know what i mean because you know what i mean like don't be afraid to to be wrong it's like it's how you learn you go back it's like you know what you got you got 60 percent of them right that's mm-hmm. good let's look at the ones you got wrong and, right. and 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 you'll do better next time not be like oh well you know it's putting all this pressure uh and and fear into into children for being wrong and then mm-hmm. you know th- then they don't learn what they do is they memorize i can't mm-hmm. i mean we all it's what we all did it's like there's a test coming up the night before the morning of you're literally just like repeating things in your mind that mm-hmm. you you're not going to be able to to recall two weeks from then right that's pretty typical um yeah, I th- I think that in that realm, it's just it shows that the uh, goal within the schooling paradigm is not actually for mastery of learning. Because if it was, as you said, if you had sixty percent, you'd be like, oh, okay, well then, keep studying till you get a hundred or ninety five or something, you know, better or whatever. But no, right. you just it's like, oh, okay, keep going on. Hopefully, you pass. It, right. So it's, <laughs> it's, it has nothing to do with whether, oh, okay, this is really important to your life and you need to, like actually know this. No, it's just for shaming and labeling and stigmatizing. That's literally it. It's to sort kids. Because again, if it was actually about this, you know, the material itself being fundamental to success in life, then you'd have to actually know it and actually have to like, okay, get 100% or whatever. It'd be ridiculous, right? You know, just like if someone were like trying to fix your car or something like that, it's like, well, it's a 75% right. I guess that's good enough for you to drive. And you're like, you know, tires are flat. I mean, eh, (laughs) right? Again, by their own standards, it's, it's a complete and abject failure. So, you know, it's, I think it's um, important for people just to take to heart the idea that um, the idea of signaling itself is not harmful in terms of voluntary action, right? The perp, you know, the point being, if, if you want to take a test to show competency or this or that, there's nothing wrong with that. But when people are forcing that onto you, onto your life, and doing it, you know, with regardless to, of anything else that's you know of your interest or your circumstances. All that's doing, again, is labeling kids and shaming and stigmatizing them for things, again, the younger you go, the more it's out of their control, for things you know, largely that are outside their control, especially for young people, um, and based on their ability, ability and their willingness to be able to comply. Um, so it, it's really, just to me, just so messed up. Like, you know, especially when I look at uh, younger kids you know, in the elementary to middle school arena – where these kids don't choose their sleeping arrangements. They don't choose their food. They don't choose, you know, how healthy their communication is at home. They don't choose, you know, basically their lifestyle overall because it's, you know, controlled by the adults. And yet the kids are all judged the same, whether a kid has a two-parent household, a really comfy bed, supportive, loving parents who are empathetic, you know, good food and all that stuff versus a kid who, you know, has a brother that like is – uh, mentally deranged and is up late at night, you know, so they can't sleep and their parents give them, you know, crappy food every day and they don't give them much love or attention. I mean, it, it, it's crazy. Like when you look at that, you're like, wow, you're judging little kids for things that are largely outside their control or even like absences, right? 
okay, yeah, the the 10-year-old has control over whether the car got to school on time, right? It's like, (laughs) when you think about it, you're like, it's it's actually pretty crazy. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, yeah. So another one of the things we, we've covered the education pretty good. Another one of the things that that uh, this is one of the more recent things that you put out there, uh, and and you have this under your your title here, Jack Guy, Libertarian Guy. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, re- referencing your your infamous page, Libertarian Guys with Asian Wives. Um, yeah, uh, that's a fun page. So I mean, yeah, wh- why do you fetishize Asian women, Jack? I just can't help it. <laughs> What can I say? No. <laughs> yeah, it, it was really funny because I did it at first as kind of like a joke thing for fun. Like, it, you know, just to be goofy yeah. with it. And like, you know, just because I, I know there's a lot of libertarian guys who have Asian wives. I'm like, yeah, you know what? Why not just have a little fun with it? And then it got like way more traction at first than I thought it would get, to be honest. Like, I really didn't think it, it would. It would just be like, oh, this would be a fun inside joke, something like that. And then it got like big. And all of a sudden, like all these big YouTubers are like commenting about it. And like people on Twitter, these communist girls and stuff I'm like, okay. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to have a lot of fun with this. And I basically just used the page to uh, demonstrate horseshoe theory that both the alt-right and SJWs are just as bigoted. And they literally will take anything you could possibly post out there and like impute the worst of intentions with it. You know what I mean? Like if you're with, you know, showing that you have a relationship, that must be a fetish or they're oppressed somehow. Right. You know what I mean? It's, it's so wild, but I, I mean, I love it. I love watching like the reality emerge and then like challenge people and, and then seeing people be like, Oh wow. Like these people talking about tolerance so much, but all of a sudden they're like saying, Oh, you should leave him. And Oh, you're, you know, all these different things that you're calling names and like calling them mail order brides and things like that. Like literally using shaming labels. And I checked their profiles. These are like real self-avowed, you know, communists. Like they're not real communists. I'm like, they look like real communists to me. They describe themselves. They act that way, but they're using the exact same type of language that they say to others is so, you know, wrong and, and bigoted, but they use that if, Oh, your ideology doesn't line up with ours. So, you know, we're going to use it against you. It, it's really wild. So. Well, like sometimes I have to wonder if uh, it's some kind of Freudian thing going on, how mm-hmm. like, you know, we're both in the Mises caucus and uh, one of the common attacks you hear from the small, you know, the small but loud minority of people mm-hmm. on social media is that the Mises caucus is filled with a bunch of racists and and uh, or, or we attract that type or dog yeah. whistling, all that stuff. And I'm just like, it seems like most of the intolerance towards racial diversity comes from from these same people that are oh, yeah. attacking us um they're like with you their their hatred of guys like like maj and and right. Hotep, uh and then like the uh you know like well you mentioned the uh, the mail order bride these people mm-hmm. went after one of our uh one of the mises caucus state organizers mm-hmm. who also yep. also has a nation wife yeah uh, and 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 we're attacking him and her saying that he, she was a mail order bride i was just like right. you guys aren't really uh you know, like if anyone in this whole entire uh, liberty movement is racist, kind of, kind of, like seems like you guys are the ones that would fit that description, not us. Right? <laughs> oh no, no, they're absolute, they're absolute bigots, um, and I, I don't believe that it is um, in any way a shock, at least to me, from their history, because I think a lot of these people genuinely do grow up in these like either northeastern or northwestern, very white, rich, rich sea areas. Like a lot of these people yeah. who I see, because I go and I look at the profiles because I'm, you know, I'm knee deep in all internet culture. I'm always observing, seeing who's doing what and figuring out who's doing what. So 
I'm like, okay, what kind of people are these? And it's, it's always almost the same. It's like these people who genuinely grow up in those like, you know, exclusive communities where it's like the you know oh i went to that nice all white high school in in massachusetts but I, you know they're a leftist you know whatever bernie supporter this or that and they are completely tapped out of any type of cultural stuff at all right so they, these people are like yeah we really stand in solidarity with like different minority groups but they're completely themselves tapped out of it right like the most color they have is dyeing their hair you know what i mean like that's it um yeah. <laughs> you know me i'm like i grew up um in new york in a very you know diverse environment like literally i had all kinds of people around me because you know my family was you know big into christianity and stuff and so if you know you might know this if you're into christian stuff you have a lot of diversity because of people doing missionary stuff and like people around the world and connections were like christian so yeah i mean it's like well my my dad was a uh a pastor and a uh, a missionary and so uh he went to africa a couple times we visited a lot of churches of different uh you know racial mixes some that were right. like almost predominantly black some that were hispanic some that were a good mixture of of, of, of different backgrounds and stuff that it and, and you know i was very comfortable with it i got to meet a lot of people learn different cultures you know right. and, and uh you know it's you know it, it's uh it, it does seem to me I, I do agree with you that a lot of these people seem to be rather whitewashed themselves it's like oh yeah it's like they they talk about diversity but to them it's like true diversity is where everyone uh we want people to have in our groups to have different skin tones but they all have to act white you know what i mean <laughs> or like <yeah. laughs> like like act like white. you yeah. all have to be white like we want you we, we want we want the token uh uh people of color and and and, and asians and hispanics but you all have right. to fit our white liberal culture and and personalities and stuff or or uh we won't have any part of you and it's like right it's it, you know like that's just not the real world yeah some of these people would like would never be caught walking in you know a more ghetto neighborhood like me i'm like yeah i'd go outside to like you know the the quickie mart on the corner or something like that these people wouldn't be caught in a 10 mile radius you know what i mean like right it, it is that bad and I mean, I, I see how it gets to be there because they want to signal it. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, see, I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm a, an ally. I'm, you know, I'm adjacent. But, it, it, you know, when they talk about these things, it just becomes so clear. They're like so tuned out of anything material to any of these people's lives. whatsoever. you know, they say it, they're supposedly connecting with or identifying with. And like even to the point of just like hilarious things where like I did this, you know, joke um, uh, meme picture. It was a libertarian guys with Ebony Wise. Right. And it's like the girl had. uh uh, a, a zebra print and then like so it's like oh like what's that is that like juggle fever something like oh so you mean to tell me that girls don't wear zebra prints normally and i literally go to the person's um pictures i scroll through and i pull up a picture of them wearing a literal animal print and i'm like you wear animal pr-. like this is not this has nothing to do with like you know trying to make it like oh this is like so like even cultural things like that like i'm like literally it's normal for girls to actually wear this stuff but when you see it in a picture, you automatically think, oh, it's oppression. It's, you know, it's objectification. It's like, no, actually, um, these are real people. They have real wives and they really wear this kind of clothing. You know what I mean? They, these guys, they really wear Hawaiian shirts and stuff like girls. Like my wife actually wears Chinese dresses and stuff like that for fun. Like it's like <laughs> they don't they don't get that. That's actually like a, a normal thing. Um, yeah, I because, don't know when it became you know, hateful to celebrate culture. 
Like right. the whole like I, I remember years ago, uh, like a couple over the last few few years, the big like uh, cultural appropriation became the big thing, and it was like yeah. you know if you're white uh, and your kids are white, don't let them dress up like if you have a white uh, daughter who wants to dress up as Mulan or yeah. uh, uh, whatever the I forget the name of the uh, the uh, princess that's black, the princess and the frog. I forget her name. Um, um, I'm not good at my princesses. <laughs> yeah. But, but like, you know, it's like, it's like, no, yeah. like you can't, you know, or if, if right. my white son wants to, you know, if he ever like, you know, buys black Panther stuff and he puts a black, right. Panther, like, but like, like, is that bad? Like, right. We, like, isn't part of diversity, like embracing each other's cultures and celebrating it, partaking right. in it, it or, so, but, but no, and, and yeah. you're right. It is. We've talked about this um, off air. It is horse, horseshoe theory. Like literally right. like, the alt right and the the ever increasing woke left are just like starting to meet in the middle where they're just like, you know, uh, safe spaces for black people right. is just really really uh, good branding of Jim Crow. Right, <laughs> it, it really is incredible. It, it, it's it's wild. They're like, all right, the alt writers like, yeah, we want to separate the spaces, and they're like, yeah, the woke people are like, oh yeah, yeah, we need to have you know the separate white and you know black facilities. So they have they're like, wait, what? They're like. <laughs> What happened? <laughs> y'all just miss what each other's goals were. Did you, you know, you, you say you hate each other so much. Are you sure you're not best friends? Like, right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Better. I mean, it, it's crazy to me because, you know, I, I just have always grown up with uh, being around and embracing all different types of like cultures and foods and ethnicities and like interesting things. And to me, it was just always normal. Like, I didn't think anything special of it. I'm just like, this is awesome. Like, this is great. I love, you know, whatever, yeah. this type of event or this type of food place or whatever. So, you know, all these people who are essentially, you know, neo-segregationists uh, immediately get triggered the second that you put up anything that is even benign, uh, yeah. just celebrating or, or, or having any type of admiration for any type of loving relationship or fashion or anything like that. Well, that's because uh, the only way that you could not be racist, Jack, is that you must virtue signal your anti-racism. And that's, right. that, that, that's how you get in. Yeah. That's, that's the end card. <laughs> is it, like, yeah. I, I don't know. To me, people who aren't racist just kind of go around like just treating people like people. They don't, they right. don't feel a need to – like to me, it's like the more you bring up race in conversations – in any context, the more I kind of get a little bit suspicious that you actually might be racist. Because to me, like, the opposite of being racist is just, like, people are people, and you don't really talk about race that much, mm. in my, in my yeah. opinion. Well, I mean, to, to the point of, like, trying to suggest someone is automatically bad or good or superior or inferior. Like, for me, like, I'll talk about race or culture and stuff like that, you know, with anyone or, you know, of any type of like race or culture. Cause it's interesting. I love talking about shared experiences, stereotypes, sure. you know, whether they're accurate or not. You know I mean, it's, it's hilarious. And again, the question is, are you doing this because you're doing it out of enjoyment and enjoying the conversation and learning about stuff? Or are you doing it because you genuinely hate the person or you think they're in fear? And that's a big difference between admiration, adulation, and saying that, oh, well, you know, you're, you're inferior and you're not worthy of being treated with respect, you know, as a human being, like, they're totally separate. But some people cannot, <laughs> you know, undo those two things. They think automatically, oh, okay, if you talk about it, or if you like it, or if, you know, you just mention, oh, hey, my wife happens to be black or Asian or Hispanic. Oh, my God. You know what I mean? It's like, nope, that's just a literal fact. And I happen to also find it very interesting to talk to other libertarian guys who, have 
you know, a similar wife situation or something, you know, of a variation and talk about similarities or differences or things that you experience when you're meeting their family for the first time or culture traditions that you participate yeah. in or don't. It's it's fascinating. It's fun, you know, to experience that and see what you do or don't like or like, you know, your spinoffs and stuff. So, you know, I mean, when they do it, though, these people who are, you know, into like the virtue signaling of the SJW stuff, you know, they they have no problem signaling their admiration if you're in their ideology right you can say oh gay pride you can say oh, okay well there's this black community or you know whatever black communists or something ah fine no big deal right but if you talk about being a different belief set worldview and then anything else plus whatever the, anything else it's like oh my gosh and then they become these bigots because they start focusing on that and saying oh this is just oppression by default it's like what, what? are you saying that you know my wife is too dumb or weak to choose a mate you know what I mean? Are right. you saying that you know they, that 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 they're stupid or gullible or something? Like this is this is like you know what I mean? Just ridiculous. You know what I mean? They're an independent person who obviously made their own choices about their relationship. You know, it's it really is crazy um, how far they're willing to go and contradict their their stated values to go after an enemy. You know, it's, there's just there's no uh, rules they won't break for themselves, basically. No, oh, yeah, yep, that's yeah. that's very true, and and this this brings us to the last thing I wanted to talk about. Like you were talking about how you grew up in the church, and there's a lot of diversity uh, in, in the church and, and experiences there, and you know that is the focus of my page, Daniel three biblical anarchy. Uh, yeah, you know, to, you know, I started this because, I, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm very involved in church, and I want to bring as many people into the liberty movement as possible. Mm. And, you know, Christians are my people. And unfortunately, I see a lot of them engaged in in what I would call idolatrous statism. Right. Um, You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And and, uh, so, you know, I I know you're not um, practicing Christian or believer anymore, but but I know that you know a lot about, you know, the the Bible and these things. Um, You know, when when you're engaging with a Christian who is. Mm you know, deep in state is of whatever flavor it is, left, right, Democrat, Republican, or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with your, with, with your knowledge of the Bible, what do you mm-hmm. think like is like the, uh, in your, your own words, like the key parts of the Bible to bring up when talking to a Christian about like their, uh, you know, belief in statism instead of Liberty. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, I would say that some of the most common ones is just like when the Israelites asked for a king is a good example and the specific uh, warning that the king would basically, you know, dominate yeah. the people and steal from them. Like there was literal warnings then like, oh, if you have a king instead of judges, you know, you're literally going to get pillaged and they're going to go to war. And, you know, so that was interesting, uh, I would say, to, you know, to bring up in historical context. And then I would say in the Gospels, uh, I would say the main focus is that, I mean. Satan's like, hey, all these kingdoms, they're mine. I'll give them to you, you know, when he's, you know, Jesus fasting. Uh, So I, you know, that's another kind of like clear indicator, like, hmm, who's currently ruling the world right now, you know, within Christian beliefs? Is it really, you know, God who's at the head of these different kingdoms? Or are these people actually, you know, setting themselves up against God, you know, to say, oh, no, worship me instead? Like, think about that, you know, a bit. And, you know, when you start to go down that that hole of like, oh, wait a second, you're right. You know, what I mean, these people who are in uh, governments are there trying to get you to essentially worship them, because, again, it, it's about um, their power and that, you know, through their 
you know, might and their wise rulings that they make your life right. And without them, you know, you're nothing. Um, but the Christian worldview, obviously, is that that's not where the source of, you know, truth uh, uh, comes from or, or uh, the source of, you could say, uh, salvation or the source of uh, internal peace uh, comes from. So, you know, those are just two quick, small examples. I mean, there's, I mean, I, I can go on for a long time if we, if yeah. we, if we did that for sure. Uh, but those are definitely two, one Old Testament, one New Testament things to, you know, kind of pique someone's thought process about the nature of oh, what is government, you know? Yeah, I, I really like the first Samuel reference with the, them asking for a king and, 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 and the reference to judges. A lot of people don't realize, but I mean, the book of Judges is essentially a, a story, I mean, a story about people living in what I would call an anarchist like society. Like there mm -hmm. was no king, there was no. I mean, you know, no human centralized authority. God, of course, could be considered a centralized mm -hmm. authority of, of sorts, but um, there's no human centralized authority. And yeah, there are some things in the book of Judges that like, you know, like bad things happen. There's a, there's like this big civil war at the end. And, you know, there's this there's a uh, uh, line repeated in the book of Judges a few times where like and uh the, the land of Israel went on without a king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Like that's repeated a few times. And then that's just such an interesting that's foreshadowing. Yeah. And that's such an interesting uh, <laughs> contrast, which then what happens when they get a king? Cause it's like judges is setting up this like false expectation of like, uh, as soon as, you know, Israel just like, if they get a king who just come in and solve all their problems, everything mm. will be better. Right. And that's the exact opposite of what happens, because actually Israel ends up worse off with their kings because their kings lead them into like lead everyone into idolatry. Like before mm -hmm. in Judges, it was like, oh, uh, a certain tribe starts to engage in idolatry or, or wickedness. Mm -hmm. Like there was uh, at the end of Judges, it was the tribe of Benjamin that was, uh, you know, like engaging in like these, uh, uh, you know, very evil very very bad like some people were engaging in these, these really bad sexual uh acts I, I forget the i think it was like a gang rape or something like that and you rated. know they yeah they they wanted to hold the people accountable like the the, the uh the other israelites of the mm. tribe of benjamin were like no these are these are benjamites like you know, you're not going to come and and take them so that started this huge huge conflict and it's like okay like you know that's not ideal but mm -hmm. like, what's the alternative? Have a centralized authority who then leads the entire nation into wickedness and idolatry, and then uh, gets conquered by another nation. They repent, but then they get another king, does the same thing, uh, you know. And and like you said, in First Samuel, God warns them. He's just like, this is what's going to happen. It's mm -hmm. going to go really badly. And he's like, right. and then you're going to cry out for my help, and I'm just going to be like, this is what you chose. Like this is. This is what you, this is what you brought upon yourself. Um, so yeah, and it's really it's really so it's like well, just the last thing I was gonna say like mm -hmm. yeah, to yeah. me like the, the the main theme of those of like that that the, the Old Testament is that mm -hmm. liberty is not utopia. Like liberty can lead to bad things happening, mm -hmm. but statism is a guarantee that the worst things are going to happen. Right. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree with that. Like you know, guarantee. I'm like getting ahead of my words. State is a guarantee. <laughs> yeah, no, sorry, long day. Uh, state is a guarantee of uh, the violence. You know what I mean? Anarchy is is the uh, theoretical, but statism is the is the guarantee of the initiation of force, and it's been pretty bad. <laughs> so, in terms of uh, you know, the number of of democide deaths even in the 20th century alone of governments around the world, you know, is higher than private murders. Just for an example, it's like 265 million about. 
Um, there's a professor at University of Hawaii, Hawaii who uh, catalogs all that. Um, and then just to also note on your, you know, talk about judges uh, that uh, Abimelech, uh, even before all that, uh, what wanted to rise to power. And specifically, he's like, hey, give me some money and I'll rule you guys and I'll be all great. And the first thing that Abimelech does is like pays henchmen and slaughters 70 of his family members. So and that was, I think, Judges uh, 9. So basically, like in one of the first stories of someone coming to power, be like, yeah, you know, you guys are your ruler. Here, give me some money. Give them money. Oh, here, let me hire some armed guards. You know, oh, slaughter everybody. Like, it, it's it's really funny. There's so many um, little, you know, libertarian nuggets in there. Um, you know, whether someone actually uh, believes all or some or part of what or none of whatever's in the Bible, it's still fun to uh, look at and see those stories and how uh, they can be uh, prescient in terms of thinking about what the nature of the state is, because there's right, yeah. lots of lessons about the nature of the state in there, that's for sure. Yeah, and I'm glad you said that, because, like, you know, I I put a lot of my content out there, and every once in a while I, I get, you know, a dis- disgruntled agnostic or atheist that comes up and just like, you know, well, the, well, the, well the, 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 you know, the Bible is just statist, and it's 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 uh, people engaging in superstition and all this. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, listen, we can, we can agree to disagree about the like metaphysical implications of the Bible and, mm-hmm. and God and all that. Like that's, that's separate, but within the, within the Liberty movement and our common mm-hmm. goals, like, can you not at least see these stories from like what I would say, like a more like a Jordan Peterson point of view and mm-hmm. a, their psychological uh, lessons that are, be, uh, that are to be found in them and, and B just how like, you know, like any other story, like we were talking about earlier, like comic books and superheroes mm-hmm. and all this, like stories teach lessons. And right. to me, you know, even if you, can't get behind the idea of the Bible being literally true. Uh, and, and I think some parts of it are historical, but some parts of it obviously are making claims of, of the supernatural that, you know, if you don't drink the Kool-Aid, so to speak, you're not going to necessarily be convinced of those claims. But if you just view them as, as a, you know, view the Bible as one big narrative filled with tiny sub narratives, um, you know, there are, like you said, there are little nuggets of, of truth and wisdom to be found in them. And I think a lot of it does correlate to libertarian philosophy, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think there's just, you know, tons of examples in there. You know, the one you said, like Jesus being tempted by Satan saying like, you know, I'll give you all the kingdoms of, of, of the world because they belong to me. But now like they're, they're mine to give to you. Um, right. You know, that's very telling you know i i always love also the uh like i think people really misunderstand this passage the whole render unto caesar thing Mm -hmm. oh yeah which was basically jesus like being like a snarky sarcastic uh asshole Mm -hmm. to the pharisees kind of like they're trying to trap him into saying the you know you know like he was either going to commit blasphemy in the eyes of the jews by saying well you have to give to caesar and you know that would have been blasphemy to them because caesar was claiming to be god or it was like uh or he would have to say you can't give to caesar in which case the romans could come and arrest him so he gave this really just like brutal answer it's just like you know uh whose face is on this coin right caesar's give to caesar what is his but give to god what is god's right and it's just to me it's jesus saying well anything that belongs to caesar give to him you know but make sure you're also giving to god what is rightfully his and and to me, that's a first just the establishment of like a, a property norm, which is just like, you know, everybody is only owed what is theirs. And 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 B giving a rightful uh, admission that you know, if you're not going to believe in a supernatural god, to me like that that passage should be taken as like, 
God is the psychological embodiment of what is good, basically. You know what I mean? Mm. Like of, of, of what is virtuous, of, of, of what is uh, logically consistent and reasonable. So, you know, I just, and, and I, th- I see this echoed, like a lot of people take passages like Romans 13, and I think there's one mm-hmm. in first or second, is it Timothy or Peter that kind of says the same thing that's like submit to the governing authorities and pay your taxes. And, and to me, there's like a lot of like mistranslations and misunderstanding of the context of, of, of these passages. Cause to me, it's just, uh, it's not about Christians having to be subservient to centralized authority. Um, mm-hmm. To me, it's it's these passages are are much more like prescriptive than they are descriptive. If that makes sense, like saying, because uh, otherwise it just flies in the face of the rest of the uh, of the Bible. And if you're going to drink the Kool Aid, like you, you got to make it consistent. You know what I mean? Like in, internally. Um, and if 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 God is telling you obey me and not man, but then also saying but obey man. Right. You know, maybe there's something wrong with the way you're interpreting those passages. Um, you know, to me, the, the Bible establishes property rights. You know, it says give to people what is owed to them. But uh, what people are owed is not just what they is not what they claim by violence. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that's what the state does. The state right. claims what yours is theirs through the initiation or the threat of the initiation of force. Mm-hmm. The Bible doesn't really condone that anywhere it does say to pay tribute and like like the 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 word that's used for taxes is often also used for tribute and it's used for like like listen if there's a toll road or if there's a service that you're engaging in pay people what they're owed Mm. but uh but there's there's nothing in the bible that says you know uh roads must be built and it's okay for people to come at gunpoint and 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 rob you blind to build them (laughs) Well, yeah, I think that, you know, with with all of it, there's definitely a lot of um, nuances. I mean, even the coin issue that you mentioned before about rendering, rendering under Caesars, uh, you know, Jesus was specifically actually calling out the idolatry of the, the Pharisees and Sadducees because the coin itself, as you noted, had the engraved image, which is itself, yeah. you know, against the Ten Commandments that you shouldn't have any graven images. Um, so by, you know, doing that, he was essentially showing them instead that they were the ones who were actually being uh, idolatrous by holding and having and using the coins. And then like with Paul, again, like, you know, the idea of like submitting to authorities obviously makes very little sense because um, he clearly disobeyed the authorities right. time, yeah. <laughs> multiple times. So that doesn't work out. Same, so yeah, you know, all, all the apostles so, did. It's, obviously, like, it's like, yeah. they, they're telling like to me, it's like, there's always like, yeah. I always read those passages as like a little bit, there's a little bit of snarkiness. It's like, Oh yeah. Obey the governing authorities. Wink. Wink, wink. Nah. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's, and, and to me, it's, there's, there's an implied meaning behind that because clearly their actions don't. Fit. He like said, that? basically, because he just was saying, like, the literal thing, because he describes it after, like, to avoid their wrath. So he's saying, like, right. basically to avoid get if you don't want to get killed for, like, every little government infraction, you know what I mean? But I, I think there's also another thing, um, even deeper there, too, and that's the idea of uh, whose authority, right? So submit to the governing authorities, but, um, there's nothing that, uh, requires you to say that the government's the authority, right? So you could be right, your because it, in, yeah, because both passages say there's no governments, but you can yeah. say no, I'm sovereign. But again, he, even he warns, but you may get attacked by the government. So you know, what I mean, there, like that's the whole thing is like yeah. if people don't take it to the next step of like what's possible and you know what in the context, you miss out on like you know a lot of the, a lot of what's going on there. Uh, so yeah. 
definitely yeah, good. Yeah. Something. yeah, I think ultimately it's just there's there's nothing uh, in in, in I th- this is true in just libertarian philosophy in general and in the Bible. Uh, m- morality is universal. Like there are no exceptions to these these universal claims of morality. Like if it's wrong to steal. And it's wrong to murder. It's it's wrong to hold people hostage. If it's wrong to initiate force against them, there there can't be exceptions to that. And 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 you can't find any logically you can't find any any logical loophole to that, and you can't find any biblical loophole to that. And that's what my you know message is to 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 everybody. It's just like if if it's wrong to that's what libertarianism. What's that old saying? Like like you become a libertarian when you realize it's wrong to hurt people and take their stuff. And they become an anarchist when you realize there's no exceptions. Like right. it's always the initiation of force is is always unjust. There, there's you're you're never entitled to somebody's property. You're never entitled to their labor. You're never entitled entitled to their their you know to to own them because they own themselves. Um, you know, so we we have to be consistent in that. Well, I, I agree. It would be um, wise to be consistent because. If you're inconsistent, then you're going to hurt your credibility, and and uh, people are not going to, you know, want to trust their work with somebody who says, "Oh, it's it's not good to steal," then you steal. You know, not exactly the most uh, becoming of, of friendship qualities. So. Right? Yeah. It's uh, yeah. the state, state, states are basically the uh, the parents that say, "Do as I say, not as I do." Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it's um, you know, the government does things that. You know, people say, oh, the government's got the delegated powers. It's like, okay, so how is the government doing things that I can't do as an individual, right? If it's delegated authority, well, then how does right. the government steal when I can't? You know, oh, how come they tax and I don't? Wait, what? So how can you delegate you know, something or, you don't have the power to do in the first place? Drop hundreds of thousands of bombs on people halfway across right. the world. Like, Yeah, it's like if I can't do that without being seen as some you know evil monster, how does the government – able print, to do that you know like, consistently ethically you know like like or the uh, the, the irony of the george floyd case where he was right. arrested for passing a counterfeit bill and people are just like you can't just print money I'm just like <laughs> oh uh. i got a story for you yeah if you think twenty dollars is bad <laughs> right wait you hear what they're doing at the federal reserve <laughs> right yeah it's like yeah. If, if 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 printing money uh, if if passing uh, counterfeit printed money results right. in someone holding their knee on your neck for ten minutes, well, uh, here's the address of the Federal Reserve. Right. Let's go. Let's go. Go down there and uh, have a chat. They got the next to lean on for sure. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right, man. Well, uh, it was great chatting with you, and uh, thanks for thanks for coming on. Uh, where can people find you, and uh, you know all the, the different stuff you're doing? Yeah. Um. So the quick way to check out a lot of stuff I'm doing right now would just be volcomic.com. That's V as in victory, O-L-C-O-M-I-C. So volcomic.com. Uh, that's where the latest campaigns listed uh, for the comic series and some other stuff. I'm outside that, you know, you could see different things I do across the internet. I mean, if you're watching this and you're libertarian, I've probably made you laugh at some point over these years. That's for sure. Uh, but you know, you can check out some of my work and things I do, whether it's on honest teacher, red flag reality, or, you know, philosophers, stuff like that. So produce a bunch of stuff for all those different things. But yeah, um, there's yeah more than I can list and I want to overwhelm people, but volcomic.com and, you know, a couple pages. Cool. Hmm. All right. Well, that wraps it up for today. Uh, 
Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.